Hello, freaks and weirdos, and welcome to A Very Good Year, a new podcast where we invite a guest, a writer or actor or filmmaker or comedian or obstetrician or beekeeper, anyone who loves movies, really, to pick their favorite year of movies and talk to us about that year. I'm your host, Jason Bailey, and across the mic and across the country from me is my co-host, Michael Hall. And our guest today, hold on, before I introduce the guest, I do want to say, because people will notice these things. I have a bit of a cold, a little bit of a cough. I'm a little under the weather, but I do not call it. I am never sick at sea, as <laughs> as several, several Aaron Sorkin characters have said. Uh, so I am here today because I was so excited to talk to this guy about this year and these really interesting selections. Uh, our guest today is a he's a podcaster uh, extraordinaire, uh, mostly known for his work in the, in the TV realm via the DVR podcast network, where he is an omnipresence who has hosted such popular shows as Podcast Winterfell, The Lost Mythos Theory Cast, which is more eggheaded than any book I've ever read. Uh, Curb Your Podcast and The Daily DVR, but he is also a formidable movie guy, both a filmmaker and a film expert. Uh, please welcome our good buddy, W. Axel Foley. Hey, Axel. Gosh, thank you so much for having me on, guys. This is a great show. I've been listening to all the podcasts that you've put out. Thank you. You've had, I feel honored to be counted among the luminaries <laughs> of film it's really true though you've had a great great bunch of people and i've known many of them and read many of the writers too so thanks for having me on well thanks for coming on man i mean now you know i've i knew of i knew the legend of axel before i knew axel himself because mike moved to new york a few years before i did and uh and he told me he said you got to meet this axel guy he's seen all the movies he's the only guy i've ever met who's seen as many movies as you have uh and i still probably was, true and i mean i was like well we'll see about that and then you know i met you and i was like no you've seen probably more um so i was really fascinated to to to, to see which direction you were going to go what you kind of wanted to talk about where in film history you wanted to hit so axel what year did you choose to talk about and why well i chose the year 1985 okay I know recently you actually had mentioned this on your last podcast. I think it was Tarantino was saying that like the eighties was a, a death of film. And yes. He, one of, one of the bad to decades. Resurrect it. Yeah. Yes. Of course he had to resurrect single handedly. Right? Yes. But which is maybe true in some respects, but I think there was a lot of great movies, but for me, the reason why I picked it is I was, just turning 11 years old in 1985 and kind of the summer of 85 important era my son yeah yeah my son is just turning 11 too oh it's shit. around okay. the same time all right so i kind of saw i kind of was have been watching stuff with him lately and thinking about that so this has always been kind of a favorite year of mine it's just i was i think i spent the summer running around long beach island and i I had just started reading a lot of Arthur C. Clarke, who is my favorite author, a lot of sci-fi, a lot of more adult-type books and movies, too. So I think this was kind of my year of entry into more adult 
type thinking, seeing film as an art form. Sure. Yeah, this sounds actually uh, sort of similar to to, to what uh, Bilga was telling us about uh, not long after this, about 87 for him. So like before 85 or so, when you're like eight, nine, 10, like what, what, what kind of stuff is a little Axel into uh, cinematically? I just probably shit blowing up. That's probably, <laughs> I mean, isn't that what most boys yeah. of that age, you know, Schwarzenegger or Stallone right. or that kind of stuff. And I mean, I always was fascinated by science fiction. So you were a star Wars kids. Definitely. Yeah. A hundred percent. I went, I was, my dad took me to the premieres and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, but I think that it, like I said, it was around this time that I started to kind of actually think about the films I was watching. And also the time when I was kind of thinking about how things were written mm -hmm. and structure, because I was reading a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know why it happened during this year, but it did. Maybe yeah. it was maybe it was when Reagan got reelected. I was like, I better do something <laughs> with my life, you know? I better so. figure out I better figure out how to live in another dimension at some point soon. Yeah, exactly. Um well yeah, because that's the that is something that I think even those who begrudge its place um as an important era have to admit about 80s, but it really was sort of a golden age of movie sci-fi. And a lot of that is Star Wars and just the reflexive sort of, you know, Hollywood making more of the thing that makes a lot of money. But, you know, with that, I think comes a kind of freedom where we're seeing things that are in that vein, but also, you know, the, the loose strictures of sci-fi allowing filmmakers to move into some more, uh, sort of offbeat esoteric directions with the genre does that scan for you yeah definitely and i, I that's that's well, one of my picks here is definitely that and i i think that i mean you definitely had i think the 80s there's just so many genre movies right you know right that well, yeah. was the thing so i think that when you have that you have the opportunity for different types to come out uh, I was kind of thinking about that in regard to uh, at least one of the films that I have on my list. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will get into those uh, and maybe we'll even start there. So we're going to put a pin in this briefly and we're going to take a, you, you mentioned a, a pretty important thing that was happening in the world in 1985. Mike, I believe will begin there and take us into some other directions as well. Here's headlines. <laughs> 1985 was the inauguration of Ronald Reagan after he won every state in the Union except Minnesota and Washington, D.C. Uh, so he had an attitude. <laughs> this was this was a key that that 84 election, Mike, that was really the beginning of me as a pol coming to the sort of political nihilism that would define <laughs> me as an adult, because who why would we reelect Ronald Reagan and everyone I knew wouldn't vote for him? And then this man, literally, I don't quote him much anymore because of the way that he turned. But uh, Dennis Miller, I think, put it best because he said Walter Mongale got you know, whatever he got, three more electoral votes than I did. And I didn't even run. Um, it was really astonishing to sort of the, 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 the breadth and depth of that sweep. Like 
is wild to think about now when really, no matter how divisive the election, no matter how insane the candidates are, every election comes down to like, you know, 20 electoral votes, you know, in like one of four states. But this was like, uh, this was an ass whooping. It was like the only state dude won was the state he was from. It was really embarrassing to be a Democrat in November of 1984, as I remember it. Well, and it's, you know, uh, the Democrats had been running the House for a long time and had just sort of become like extremely, you know, just very stratified and and sort of um, old school and corrupt, you know, and there was a lot to to sort of complain about with them. But, you know, yeah. I, I don't he, he didn't really have any good solutions, but that was really like, <laughs> you know, that really set the culture. Uh, in the country in yeah. a big way, you know, uh, it, there was a lot of, of sort of chest beating and, uh, and you know, a lot of flags um, and all that stuff. It's morning in America, Mike. Yeah. It's morning, morning in America. America <laughs> and <laughs> Ronald Reagan's going to wake up and jerk <laughs> off. <laughs> and yep. You have to watch. Yeah. Mikhail Gorbachev became leader of the USSR in 85 and the Soviet Union began withdrawing it from Afghanistan. And we began learning nothing from their experience. Uh, Reagan and Gorbachev met in Geneva that year and they co-wrote the script for Rocky IV. Amazing. <laughs> I don't know if everybody knows that. Breaking news. I will break you. Right here on, on very good year. <laughs> uh, South Africa ended its ban on interracial marriage. And not to repeat myself, but this is 1985 we're talking about. Uh, Coca-Cola had to drop new oh. Coke in April, but it was so gross people are still mad about it. I love that that's still like cultural shorthand for if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like they fucked up so bad. That new Coke tasted like puke. Mike, do you remember that? Shit? I, I, it was so I actually bad. Don't, and I really don't necessarily because I was a little, you know, I turned nine this year. So I was a little young to even care about Reagan. But I was very much aware that everybody in my house was mad as fuck about it. <laughs> Axel, I know that you're a big, uh, you know, you, you're you're a big historian of conspiracy theories and the like. What do you make of the? There's a there's a prevalent conspiracy theory that the the failure of New Coke was calculated by uh, the head office so that to to juice sales of Coca Cola Classic when they brought it back. Oh, I what are your thoughts on that? That that sounds very plausible to me. <laughs> there we go. I think a com a company would lose money on purpose in America to get more later. Definitely. <laughs> yes. Yes. They tanked it. Absolutely. Tanked it. In other news, the wreck of the Titanic was located 73 years after the start of what has to be the longest marketing campaign in movie history. <laughs> there were an incredible number of plane crashes. So I'm not going to get into details about any of them, but let me just shout out the victims of Iberia Airlines Flight 610, Air India Flight 182, Delta Flight 191, Japan Airlines Flight 123, British Air Tours Flight 28M. I'm only doing this because seriously, there were so many of them. Bar Harbor Airlines Flight 1808, Midwest Express Flight 105, Aero Air Flight 1285. And there's definitely some that I left out. There were a lot. And I'm sort of surprised we kept doing it after all that. Mike, I can tell you what happened. We started taking our shoes off. <laughs> and now air travel is extremely safe that now because we solved do that. the problem. There you go. Cleared it up. In culture news, Studio Ghibli was founded in 1985. Uh, so Woo! big shout out for that. They have been instrumental in creating anime. I think they have like five or six of the top 10 selling anime movies of all time. Our Studio Ghibli, something Sounds like right. that. Um, so they are a very big deal. And that started in 85. 
Super Mario Brothers was released in 1985. Nice. The Live Aid concert and We Are the World both happened in 1985. So mm-hmm. I got to We Are the Children. <laughs> we Are the World. I got to say, like, it's wild how how many bad introductions those projects gave me to artists I ended up loving many years <laughs> later. Like it took me till my late twenties to get into Bob Dylan solely because he's so lame <laughs> on we are the world. This wasn't the, what this wasn't the year of hands across America though, Mike. No, I believe that was 86. Okay. Like in, in response to uh, the, the success of these, they said, well, let's have some big fundraising failures. And that was, uh, that was one of them. This is what I've retained from writing an explainer about hands across America after Jordan Peele's yes. ass came out. Yeah, that's true. Nice. Everything's got to get back go. to movies. Yep. Uh, in sports news, Danny Sullivan beat Mario Andretti at the Indy 500, and that angered uncles everywhere, uh, including mine. Joe Montana led the 49ers to win the Super Bowl. <clears throat> Pete Rose beat Ty Cobb's all-time hit record in baseball, so hopefully he had a lot of money on him. <laughs> I'm sure he did. PC Royals beat the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series. But the most interesting baseball news of 1985 was the original publication of the Bill James Historical Baseball Abstract. Have you ever seen that, Axel? I know of it. Yeah, if like real baseball nerds, like that is the sort of Bible, and it, and it's a yeah, it's a deep, intense thing that even if you don't like baseball, you can look at it for. It's just stunning and sort of the way he lays everything out. A lot of data. The original, uh, you know, what's that movie with the with the with the Moneyball? Thank you, thank you. This was Moneyball before the before it got pretty, before it got a makeup, uh, gotcha. before it got a makeup artist. Gotcha. The Lakers beat the Celtics, and the USSR won both men's and women's sides of the Euro- European Volleyball Championship. So that was very exciting. Uh, no World Cup, so boo to that. That's 1985. Thank you, Mike. Uh, yeah, you know, I was I I when you got into the the Bill James historical baseball abstract, I tried to workshop some sort of Back to the Future, Back to the Future two almond sports <laughs> almanac thing. I I couldn't make it work, but Back to the Future one, as we'll mention later, did come out in 1985 as well. All right, let's hear a top five. Axel Foley, uh, we're just going to do a randomized, like, there's no order whatsoever to these five. We're just going to, we're, we're going to, um, we're just going to catch them as they come out of the shoot. But let's start with that sci-fi title that, yeah. uh, that you mentioned. Uh, Axel Foley, what is the first of your five top five favorite movies of 1985? The first is Enemy Mine. You have crash landed on a barren planet. Millions of miles from home. Your means of transportation and communication are destroyed. You are stranded. You are defenseless. And you are not alone. Enemy mine. Rated PG-13. Starts Friday at a selected theater near you. Directed uh, by Wolfgang Peterson. Wolfgang. Yes, starring Dennis Quaid and the amazing Louis Gossett Jr. Um, Academy Award winner. Yes, not for this one though. Not for this. (laughs) For this one. Thank you for clarifying, Officer and a Gentleman. Yeah, I will say I think this might be. I mean, you know, start off at the at the worst, but this might be number five for me. Though I do think that it's an important and interesting film, and for me. As an 11-year-old, I went to the theater and saw this. This came out, I think, 
just before or after Thanksgiving around that time. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason why I chose it is because of what we were talking about before. I was a huge fan of science fiction and Star Wars, Close Encounters, all these things that had come before. Um, but a lot of the 80s was like Beastmaster and <laughs> fantastical stuff or a lot of war stuff, right? Fighting right. and things shit blowing up. And right. the thing about Enemy Mine is it's really kind of, it's two different movies the beginning of it is really just Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. And then it has, he has the child and then there's a rescue portion to it. It becomes more of a traditional film, but up until the point where he's separated from the, from the child, it's a re it's, it's like a two handers. It's like a play. Uh, and it's, you know, about people, two warring factions getting to know each other and of course at the time it had so much to say about the united states and the soviet union but there's a lot of religious stuff in this too that's put in there so yeah. I, I think that he in his own way peterson was kind of sprinkling in a like a, a kind of uh anyone could experience this from their perspective right. uh just great acting some great miniatures in it the special effects mm-hmm. are fun. Um, mm-hmm. All in all, just a real, like kind of a thinking sci-fi film for the time. It turns into that action film at the end, but most of it is kind of a thinking, high-minded sci-fi, which is something that I desperately wanted at that time. And I think today, when we look at our theaters dominated by Ant-Man and Iron Man and Spider-Man, Spider-Man, any kind of man, Batman. Like you said, Jason, an example of kind of squeaking in a different kind of film. Yeah. Because it's a genre. Yeah. And for me, it reached me. So that's why I appreciate it. Yeah. No, it's well, what's really interesting, what's striking to me, because I hadn't seen this one, this was a new one for me, is that you do see like that first 10 or 15 minutes feels very much like Star Wars. Like it almost feels like. Peterson was hoping they would only watch the first 10 or 15 minutes. Like when he had to show it to the studio or whatever, it's like, see, I gave you your, here's the spacecraft and here's the, and here's, you know, here's all of that stuff. But yeah, then, you know, these two very, you know, warring factions, one of each of them, you know, end up on this sort of deserted planet. And it's almost a Robinson Crusoe vibe happening for that, you know, that, that two-hander section that you mentioned, which, yeah, I thought was kind of amazing. Um, and doing the thing, like you said, that sci-fi can do well, which is that like you set up the genre trappings, but then you can sprinkle in contemporary commentary. And the the U.S. and Russian thing didn't even occur to me watching it now until you said it. But that's in there. The religious stuff that's in there, the thing with the text and with the language, race, learning each other's course, language, yeah. the race stuff is incredible. And, and again, also, if we know, you know, that these are two actors of different races as well. Yeah, just really fascinating, you know, and I agree with you that that's the strongest portion of the picture, although I will also say uh, the third act has Brian Kehoe as a villain. Yeah. Uh, which is like essential <laughs> to a great 80s movie. That is you true. get Brian Kehoe to be true. your villain. So like, I can't get too mad at that part either. Yeah. So, uh, so thank you for bringing that one to us. That's enemy mine. All right. What is, uh, what is your number four in your non-ranked selection of uh, 1985 movies? All right. Um, I'll go somewhere different. Uh, 
to uh, the Falcon and the Snowman. I don't know who my friends are anymore. I don't know who to trust. They were best friends from boyhood. Who did you receive your instructions from? Terrorista. I am not. Then they committed a crime against their country. You want to be partners? I'm offering you a partnership. They became the two most wanted men in America. Their story is true. Leave your bags behind. We're going to get on the plane. Timothy Hutton, Sean Penn, a John Schlesinger film, The Falcon and the Snowman. Now playing Royal Center and Dunbar. Check your local newspapers for showtime. Another two, another kind of two-hander, though. I mean, you got two two very strong actors in those leading roles. Yeah, and uh, the, of course that's uh, Timothy Hutton and Sean Penn. And this yeah. is, I think, really, I'm not, I can't be totally sure, and I didn't look it up, but I mean, I think this is just before Sean Penn kind of exploded and like started dating Madonna and was <laughs> yep. at close range. I think it's just before that, right? So he yep. was still... Yeah kind of like more of a Hollywood darling than he was this huge star in America. Right. And I just, I, again, I saw this th movie in the theater when I was like 10 or 11. I was way mm -hmm. too young to be watching this in the theater, <laughs> but my friend, Mark Vanderelst, a good pal of mine, when I was a kid, his mom was from Argentina. His dad was from Belgium. And his mom used to always say to me, William, you have to be more mature. And because she, she was like German Argentinian, if you know what I mean. Uh, mm. And uh, she would always say, you must be mature. We're taking you to this movie. And I was like, OK, let's go. And this movie scared the shit out of me when I was <laughs> around 10 or 11 years old. And rewatching it, mm -hmm. I can see why, because the way Timothy Hutton and Sean Penn play it is they're just kind of doing whatever you know what i mean it's like yeah. this is america and even though it's set the true story of what actually happened to these two that they ended up selling secrets to the soviet union uh he was working i think i think in the movie they call timothy hutton's company rnj or something but it was really in real life it was trw where my oh. mother worked <laughs> in new oh, jersey shit. So oh, shit. she wasn't doing secrets or anything. That's a very big company that you know of. <laughs> no, she was working in the good part of it. Sure. But, sure. But okay. I remember at the time too reading that, you know, in real life, because this, this movie got a lot of press at the time. Um, sure. But I think it just has so much to say about America. It has the great David Bowie song. This is not yeah. America. <laughs> yeah. Even though it's set in uh 74, it still mm -hmm. feel it feels more like 84, 85. And I sure. feel like there wasn't this great push to make it a period, right. even though it's 10 years before in film, you do that because right. to make all of the uh, allusions to the common kind of America, the drugs, the cocaine, uh, it was just actually now I'm thinking about this. A lot of cocaine in many of my movies, but that's OK. <laughs> um, it's fine. It's fine. Anyway, Falcon. And the, what do you what do you think of the Falcon and the Snowman? This again was a new one. This was one. A lot of these are things that I was just I was nine to ten uh, in 85. And so a lot of these were things that I was just not quite old enough to see and never kind of got around to. Um, Falcon and the Snowman, yeah, it moves. It's tightly wound. 
Uh, there's some individual suspense sequences that are just sharp as attack, but yeah, the Sean Penn of it all is one thing that I really remember about when it came out because like he was sort of on the verge of explosion. He was this critical darling. He's doing these really exciting things in a lot of times character roles and supporting roles and things like that. But then, yeah, like the next year, 86 was when he kind of blew up. That was at close range came out that year. That was when he got together with Madonna. Uh, that was when he became a celebrity, but the intensity of what he's doing here, the sort of the, the, the unyielding characterization, the fact that, you know, he's, he's trying, he's doing the young actor thing of sort of trying to make himself like vocally unrecognizable um, and just really playing all of the sleaziness of the character. You know, what I think is interesting now in retrospect is it, I feel like this character ended up being kind of a warm up for the guy he's playing in Carlito. Thank you. Which is exactly um, what I was going to say. I always felt like that's that a, was his older yeah. brother. In, <laughs> yes. And when I saw Carlito's way in the theater, yeah. I said to myself, yeah, he's doing the Falcon in the snow. This is like an older <laughs> version of him. And yes. I, I, yeah, he's great in this. And the way yeah. that just like when he goes into the Soviet office and he, just starts smashing shit up and yeah it's because he's coked up all the time and the thing i think there's little things that you pick up while watching the movie is you don't realize that he's like building this import export drug business on the side the entire time that he's in mexico and getting deeper and deeper but we're seeing timothy hutton with his falcon and this and this woman and i think to me that always that's like what kind of freaked me out when i was a kid because it was like those two sides of america and the reagan shit what they tell you and what is real and i think in essence this film had so much to say about the reagan era uh just looking at it oh man so many great scenes too and the i guess it was a thing because it's also in Lady Hawk, like the shot of the bird in the beginning. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. I was like, is this in every 80s Big movie era. or something? Like, Big era for that, for yeah. that. Yes, for that image. All right, Axel. Uh, what is your number three movie for 1985? All right. Well, we better go big or go home. Three is the magic number. So we'll go with... Now, this one you allowed me... Because it's American uh, premiere. American show, USA, American release date. USA, yeah, thank you. USA. <laughs> I, you know, I am a patriot at heart. Yes. That's all I'm saying. I could tell. But uh, yeah, and I want to give a shout out to public television where I first saw this film. Because when you asked me to come on, I always try to think when I think of like a film list or a TV list or something. I try to think a little bit non-traditional. I, I, I even tried to look up what great TV movies came out this year. <laughs> I couldn't, I was hoping the day after had come out, but it came out before this. Because that's did. one of the scared best the sh- ever. Yeah. Yeah. Scared the shit out of us all in like uh-huh. 84. If but um, serves, yeah. what I'm talking about is 28 Up. What regrets do you have about your education then? I didn't work hard enough. I was just very lazy at school. You know, if you're lazy and you don't work at school, you suffer for it. There needs to be a little bit more discipline. If private schools are better, you'd be far better off spending your money sending your kids there than getting a video or new television swimming pool or something like that, I think. And I think we can just kind of talk about the Up series in general. 
Um, I hope I'm pronouncing. I never know if I'm pronouncing Michael Apted. How do you how do you pronounce his last I, name correctly? I believe I believe that's it. Yes, and okay. I've, uh, it right. I've I've heard it pronounced as such. Yes, and just for me, the greatest documentary series, pretty much of all time. I mean, film hasn't been around that much, but for all time, we're gonna follow kids every seven years and interview them. That's it. We're going to follow them through their lives and we're not going to ask them what's your favorite superhero or what's your favorite TV show. We're going to ask them, what do you think about this rich kid? What do you think about a uh, government? What do you want to be? How do you feel about this project? We're going to ask them real fucking questions, right? And this is heartbreaking, heartwarming, beautiful, sad, it's life. I don't know what more to say. And 28 in particular is when I think a lot of these stories start to turn. Mm, how so? When I started watching it, it's like I hadn't watched it before because like you sort of know what it is. You know, like, you know, if you watch a lot of documentaries, you know what a BBC documentary from 1964 interviewing seven year olds, you pretty much have an idea of what it's going to be. And then I watched it and it was pretty much that. Right. And and like they're really focused on class, you know, and they really they're they there's a lot of sort of attention on just how how cunty in the English sense the rich kids are like even as children, you know, that little girl's like, I don't know any colored people and I don't need to for the rest of my life. Yeah, and like yeah. even in 1964, I'm sure that didn't play well. <laughs> right mm. even if you agreed with her like in your heart of hearts you're not supposed to make that face when you say it at least you know and and, and when you're watching them like and even 14 it's a little more interesting they're teenagers now you know what i mean they have a little bit more of their own personality but by 28 like they are really able to sort of be philosophical and they have responsibilities yes, exactly. and like and yeah. in a lot of ways the fact that you've sort of of gotten you know to know the characters before that is how 28 up is so powerful you know it is one of those things where like if you just dip in on it you know the guy who's like homeless in 28 up like if you just dip in on that show he's already homeless like that's a major shock <laughs> you know when you're yes. watching it because yes. this is a guy who was like talking about going to oxford and all this in the last one and he was also the best looking guy on the show, in my opinion, like he looked like when you think when I watched this, I thought to myself, first of all, they could never do this now. Yeah, because every kid does this anyway. And we all do this to right. our fucking kids. <laughs> right. Right. How many I probably yep. have like 50 bazillion iPhone pictures of my kid. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's just it. It's it's a different world. It's also the other thing about it is you're not just watching you're you're not just watching these kids grow up you're also watching documentary film grow up mm. and you know you're watching sort of and, and by by the time sort of a technique makes it to the bbc it's sort of filtered through all the experimental phases right so you're sort of seeing the the right. the sort of cream of of how documentaries worked at that time and it's particularly evident in the way they use b-roll um and it's interesting because it's one director for all of them so you're sort of watching this one director develop, but he's not like an original enough documentary thinker 
that you're sort of watching him push boundaries. What you're watching is him being influenced by the sort of evolution of the art form. And I found that particularly fascinating. And being influenced by his own work outside documentary as a narrative feature filmmaker, which yeah. is also one of the things yeah. that I think is is really unique about this series is that Michael Apted was just a hell of a director, period. And that he had this touchstone yeah. that he kept going back to every seven years, I think is really interesting. It, you could imagine, and actually it creeps into the much later ones. I think it's there. They did up to 63 and then he passed away. And they say right. they're not going to do him, but I feel like they will, which is the guy who is, I'm going to be a jockey when I grow up. I'm going to be a jockey. He went, I think he eventually went on like, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. So like he, oh, he, he kind of dipped in or one of them dipped into like it, it had caught up to itself. Mm -hmm. Right. And you think that back then, if that kid who was homeless He'd have a GoFundMe. He'd be on. Right. Yeah. He, they would all be rich off of Twitter and right. Instagram and TikTok and all that. Yeah. But they, that's the interesting thing is that even though they talk throughout the series how this film affects them, they have no idea how they they are talking about how all of that film will affect us all, us all being on yeah. camera all the fucking time. And, and, yeah. and I'm a great lover of reality TV. And I think that this is uh, like kind of the first reality TV show. You know, you were tuning in to see how fucked up they got or what drama right. happened, you know? Right. Just every seven years instead of every week. Yeah. Um, Axel, should we stay in the documentary realm for uh, number four on your list? Oh, yes. Oh, God, I love this movie. Um, Ross McElwee, did I pronounce his name correctly? I never don't know if I ever pronounce. I think I pronounced the last name correctly. Sherman's March. I've been doing some research on Sherman's March. Do you want to hear it? Sure. Call it the war between the states or the Civil War. It was a bitter and bloody test of national unity. You see what the army comes to? The bunkers, the island, the burned out house. It's all a tragedy. It's just a matter of how you get through it. To me, a hilarious comedy about every yeah. dude who has ever picked up a camera and thought to himself, I'd like to shoot a hot looking lady with this camera. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say, like, as Mike and I have spent many hours, I know, in our past doing. Uh, you too, Mr. Bailey. Um, a time or two. It, time or two. It is. It's just such a pure, again, very pure documentary. He's supposed to be making a documentary about, and it actually starts for the first minute and a half. <laughs> yes, about Sherman's <laughs> march, and then it just becomes out of like two and a half hours. <laughs> like he does do that movie for yep. the first minute and a half. You're right, which always gets you on any rewatch. I like I started it and I watched this actually I should say give a shout out because of these films and the way I know you all are both into uh, physical media. I had to go to the library to get the up series. I got I watched Sherman's March on Fandor. I got a seven day yeah. free trial for that. Um, so you have to kind of, you, you know, tr you have to find your shit where you can find it. But um, yes. This movie, I didn't see this until way later. 
I saw, I didn't mention it with the up series. I did catch that on public television when I was a kid. Oh, wow. I watch it later. Uh, Channel 13, New York, the best. And of course. Um, uh, for uh, Sherman's March, I didn't see it until I was working at World of Video uh, in, what was that, 2003 or 2002 or something. I saw this movie and I was just like knocked out. I thought it was so yeah. pure and emotional, but also hilarious. Every time you think this motherfucker is going to learn something, <laughs> he's like, I took a class. And then you see the teacher and you know, he's going to try to fuck that teacher. And then he's like, yes. I took a liking to the teacher. <laughs> it's yes. like it, just, it never ends. Every yes. time. And then Charlene gets involved too. When you get into Ross McElwee's, all of his films, she has her own little film he made actually before this film. Um, and I think was the real inspiration for this. But he's made many more films and, you know, he eventually made a film with his son where they watch part of this and they, he kind of makes oh fun of him. So it's, you know, this guy has always been kind of putting himself out there, but it's really yeah. just about, I think, so many times as a filmmaker when you're making things. And Mike, I don't know how many times we because we spent so many years making shit together that you get lost in the process in the sense that you're just making something and it just becomes yeah. alive and you feel yeah. that with this movie. And that's the most beautiful part is that he's not in love with these women. He's in love with shooting them and yeah. making this movie about them. That's his love. Like Charlene's like, you don't know love. You're and you're not, you don't have a passion. Well, he does. It's filmmaking. That's what he goes back to again and again. And it's just, a, yeah. and it's just also hilarious because he keeps on no. getting rejected. It's so funny. And that's the thing I wasn't really prepared for. I knew that it was a sort of loose shambling thing, um, but th that it's so sort of in that uh, tradition of just sort of Southern comic, just self-deprecating shit talking like it he reminds me less of any other filmmaker than of the georgian newspaper columnist and humorist lewis grizzard that's who <laughs> ross reckle he reminds me of which was not what i was expecting when i sat down to watch this one uh before we move on i should i would like to mention too that if you'd like to see it also you can watch it on ovid.tv which is a wonderful uh, independent and documentary streaming service where you can see me introduce um, Stations of the Elevated. Nice. So there's my little All plug right. for that. All right. We wrap it up. What is the number five movie of your top five for 1985 W. Axel Foley? Well, when you think about the 80s, and you think about 1985 in particular. <laughs> if I you think need I a movie picked... with every 80s trope in one 90-minute fucking <laughs> film. <laughs> That's what I was going to say, is there are so many movies when you... Th I mean, The Goonies, Back to the Future, Breakfast Club, Weird Science, uh, I don't know, Fletch, you know, just every... Rocky European Ford, Vacation. All this crazy... Yeah, the list goes on. We're going to get to that. Yeah, so many crazy movies. But for me, what I always return to, and I remember watching it in the theater, and then later, of course, on HBO, where it played 
ad nauseum. A lot. Uh, <laughs> a the, lot. The movie we're talking, if I say lines to you like, I want my $2. That's all you have to say. The movie should okay. be retitled, I want my $2. <laughs> you could say, I'm sorry, your mom blew up. Um, throwing out a perfectly good white boy. Um, I mean, it, the list goes on and on. The you have everything. We're talking about better off dead, of course. Does it ever feel like everyone's got more going than you do? Oops. Well, you might be right. You look pretty stupid to me. Thank you. But all you need is guts. When you want to race, I'll take you on any day, sucker. And you'll never doubt yourself again. I haven't even been to New York City. Better off dead. That's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. Rated PG. Sneak preview Saturday, October 5th. Check newspapers. John Cusack at his weirdest and greatest. I mean, just the scene where he sticks a bunch of like Q-tips in his face and his dad thinks he's on drugs, which never be. It's just a subplot that doesn't go anywhere. Right. His dad just thinks he's on drugs. There's so yep. much drugs in this movie. I can't <laughs> tell you how many times someone at school snorted jello <laughs> or went pure snow. It it has everything. It's to me the best 80s comedy. I love this. It's quick, too. It's like an hour and a half. Um the French girl that comes to live next door who's super hot and they don't even meet until 50 minutes into an hour and 30 <laughs> minute movie. I mean, it's wonderful. It has every 80s trope. And I, you know, I, I always get this one in my mind mixed up with One Crazy Summer, right? Same, same star, director. Same, yeah. same director, Savage Steve Yeah, Holland. so yeah. I always get the two movies mixed up. So watching, so whenever I watch one of them, it's always this sort of like separation moment of sort of remembering which what is in which movie you know um but i mean it's literally yes. got a ski captain like a shitty like a 35 year old dude playing the captain of the high school ski yep. team i mean it really does <laughs> the thing that i really noticed when i was watching it again this time was the the kid on the bike that is on mounted short skis and he's got skis on his feet and he's taking the the he's riding his bike down the hardest <laughs> yeah. ski mountain in the you know in the state or whatever that shit holds up bro like i you know i was i was <laughs> laughing it i was excited it was you know booger from the fucking from the nerd movies is at the bottom i mean it really yeah yeah yeah, I probably don't need to watch it, it for everything. another 30 years, but I did enjoy it. Yeah, and that's the that's the greatest thing about the film is that they have the $2 thing. That's what eventually propels him to win, right? <laughs> and and go and ski the K-12. It's not the love of the girl. It's not it's just some stupid kid chasing him. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I love this movie. I think it's really funny. The fact that that pays off is something that I didn't appreciate as a kid. But as an adult, I was very much like, oh, that's fucking craft right there, bro. That's craft. Good choice, yeah. man. And Good Cusack choice. is great. Well, it is appropriate then that we end our 1985 list with the most 1985 movie imaginable. <laughs> Axel, thank you for this lovely list. And now let's find out what films were winning trophies and making money. Here's awards and box office. Sell out with me, oh yeah. Sell out with me tonight. The record company. 
Uh, at, at risk of quoting myself, none of the shit we've been talking about. Uh, Out of Africa won basically <laughs> nope. everything. Best Picture, Best Director, Sidney Pollack, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Score, also won Golden Globes for Best Picture Drama, Best Score, Best Supporting Actor for Klaus Maria Brandauer. Uh, how's everybody on Out of Africa? Still haven't seen it. <laughs> Never saw it. Well, there you go. It, it's a very serious film, go. and I'm... Yes. It just looks like such a drag. Like, I'm still a nine-year-old on some of this shit. I'm just like, I don't want to watch Out of Africa. <laughs> Kiss of the Spider Woman won Best Actor for William Hurt. He also won the, ba- the BAFTA for Best Actor. Mm-hmm. Now that I That's a fine see. performance. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good performance. Yeah. Weird movie. In such a strange mm-hmm. setting and just the whole concept mm-hmm. behind never make a, that movie would never get made. Well, tonight. it's, it's actually, despite its title, there's, it's not, doesn't have an attached comic book IP. So <laughs> in case it sounds like that, which it does. Spider woman. The trip to bountiful won best actress for Geraldine page. I don't, I'm not familiar with that one. That, that skipped my nine year old head. Yeah. Big upset because everybody thought Whoopi was going to win for, uh, for color purple that year. Like I remember that being a, a big shocker that, that Geraldine page, swooped in uh with her old ass and won for uh for trip to bountiful uh best supporting actor went to donna michi for cocoon i love cocoon i loved it as a kid i love it now uh that's that's that there you go there's another sci-fi yeah but in a in a, a, yeah. a, a different kind of direction a heartwarming a crowd pleaser sci-fi movie mm-hmm. and you know what donna michi or at least his dance double uh did a breakdance scene and that i think was what sewed up that oscar for and him. i think that that actually gave birth or the possibility to another quirky sci-fi 80s movie batteries not included mm. Oh yes, that's With, right. I think they, the were, weren't they? Yep. Weren't those old folks in that too? There were a couple shared old. Folks. I think that Hume, Hume, and, Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy yes. were the carryovers to yeah. batteries not included. Correct. I don't know if it's true, but I've seen a meme that says that uh, that they were all in their like early fifties when they made that movie. Yes, they were. <laughs> they were. Uh, times were much harder then. The shit wore on people. Yes, indeed. Uh, best Supporting Actress to Angelica Houston Also won Golden Globes for Best Picture Best Actor in Jack Nicholson Best Actress Kathleen Turner All in a Comedy Musical And also the Globe for Best Director John Houston Also won the BAFTA, BAFTA for Best Original Screenplay Pritzy's Honor Pritzy's Honor kicks yeah. fucking ass Great I love I love Pritzy's Honor And it is one of those things Where it's like god damn John Houston was like 112 when he made that movie like he was so old when he made this this nasty crackling little dark comedy of mafia uh slights and romantic ilk oh god it's so good i love princey's honor best original screenplay to witness witness is awfully damn good witness is tight as fuck that's a good oscar yeah. for that screenplay because that is a really well-crafted screenplay i saw that in the theater too yeah i think i might have yeah yeah that started a big amish craze and and i yes. and, and i live in i grew up in jersey so we could go up to pennsylvania and like go to amish country and i th- i think we had like a school trip after that or something <laughs> it was they n- nowadays we get like 
reality TV about Rumpsburger or whatever it's called. Right. Best original song went to uh, a really a kind of a kind of audio treacle that really only existed in the eighties. Say you, say me, <laughs> which uh, which also won for the Golden Globes from the movie White Knight. Say you, say me, say it. Together. I mean, they just don't make syrup that sweet anymore. I don't know if they banned if they banned Ugh. the ingredients or what. Ugh. And then it kicks in too, right? It gets <laughs> don't hold on, right? Uh, yeah. As it should. Yeah, it sure does. Best foreign film uh, at both the, the uh, Oscars and the Globes was the official story. Which I've never seen. Me neither. All right. Well, then that's going to be not very exciting for us to talk about. Other significant award winners Purple Rose of Cairo won the BAFTA for Best Picture, the Golden Globe, and BAFTA for Best Screenplay. That is a really fun fucking movie, man. It is. Purple Rose is really great and is a yep. real. I mean, that. Again, the screenplay awards not surprising because that is a really a, a really terrific example of coming up with a really great high concept, which a lot of movies in the eighties did, and then they would just like kind of ride out that concept for two hours and just sort of be like, "Here's our one joke over and over again." And what's great about that screenplay is it works through every angle of how you can t- how uh, every single. Uh, element that could go sideways every sort of possible complication bringing in the actor who plays the 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 character like it's such a smart piece of writing in addition to just you know beautifully rendered and mia farrow is just wonderful in it i feel like she doesn't get the credit that she deserves for how rich and varied those 80s and early 90s Woody Allen performances were because everybody's just like, oh, he's just casting her because she's his girlfriend and there's all, we won't get into any of the other things that were happening there. But it's wild how good she is in this movie. Yeah. That's all I wanted to say. I want to agree with you too. I'm a huge Woodrow Allen fan. And this one was always, is always one that even upon reflection, I'm like, did I like this? I can't. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I loved it. <laughs> Because of the high concept element. So I think that, and then I remember and uh, how deep it gets. And I mean, let's not forget, I mean, earlier stuff too, he did too, that just explores things in a way you would not think, you know? She did not win the Oscar, but she did win the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a drama, Whoopi Goldberg for Color Purple. Yeah. Good performance, good movie. What a, what a fantastic film and talk and one of the, greatest memories that i have of going to the movies my number one memory is seeing aliens on opening night in a (laughs) theater like at midnight like the day before opening night and people going insane and yelling and it was amazing and go and telling my mom i was going to see like the goonies again and going to see the color purple because I so <laughs> desperately wanted to see this movie. And I, I mean, like I said, I was like 10 or 11 years old and I snuck into the movie and halfway wow. through the movie, the lights come on. In comes a guy with with the flashlight turns. Oh, looking around. Hello, Billy Foley. Is there a Billy Foley? <gasps> I raise my hand and my mom is standing there with the dude. And she's oh, like, shit. Billy, where were you? The other movie ended an hour ago because it was a long oh, movie. Yeah, was. So I said, Mom, I'm watching this movie. <laughs> and you know what? The cool thing, I have to give her credit. She said, okay, I'll sit down and watch the rest of it with you. And she just <laughs> sat down and we watched the rest of uh, The Color Purple. And I think it had, nice. I think most of the adult stuff 
that happens in the beginning. So this was more towards when they were dealing with that. Sure. Um, but yeah, what a wonderful film. That would be my number six. I wanted to talk about gotcha. it just to tell that story, but I got to tell <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> we're not going to get any, uh, we're not going to get a better award winner story than that. Let's go to top 10. <laughs> Domestic top 10, number 10, Spies Like Us. I remember that movie fondly, but I haven't it's seen it funny. since I was, since I had a very little brain. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. I don't, I don't think that one will probably stand up to a, to a return visit. You know what does fucking stand up though as a grown oh, man? Boy. Here fucking we go. Number nine, buddy. Fucking Goonies. Yeah. That's a great movie. <laughs> I, I love all the all Loved the uh, all the love that Kihoi Kwan's getting these days for uh, for his more recent work because when he comes on at the beginning of that movie and he speaks his first line, like his voice has barely changed, and I was just <laughs> yes. like, it wasn't until I heard it that I was like, this voice was such a key part of my childhood between the Goonies, which we had on VHS and I watched a gazillion times. And uh, Temple of Doom. It's like, yeah, that's yep. like the voice of an 80s child right there. Yeah. Goonies yep. came out June 7th, 1985. I looked it up. My birthday is June 11th. We saw this <laughs> on my birthday. This was my birthday party. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> Man, that movie holds up. I've seen it recently. And, and I, you know, when, so when uh, Chunk takes a candy bar and anyway. Enough with the good. We can make a podcast being nostalgic, but that's not what we do. It's it's a. I will say this. It's a very loud movie. You don't have two children of around this age yet, Mike. Some of it. Some of its charms diminish a bit once they get that old. Go ahead. Fair enough. Number eight, Witness. Good picture. Yeah, came up before. Number seven, Jewel of the Nile. I liked both of these movies. Yep. I remember seeing Jewel of the Nile at the time and liking it. I haven't really seen it since. The rap on it now is that. It's not as good because it was different writer, different director or whatever. But I had a good time with the Jewel of the Nile. My wife and I just rewatched both Romancing the Stone and Jewel of the Nile. And we loved them. Had fun. Yeah. You know, I mean, you yeah. can tell when they were made and some of this stuff looks like they're sliding down a back lot in Hollywood. But sure. It, it is a fun. They're both fun. Yep. Number six, uh, The Lovely Cocoon. Number five, yep. The Unseen Since 1985 Out of Africa. Number four, uh, the color purple, which Axel's mom probably only ever saw half of. Mm -hmm. Number three, Rocky Four. I, I don't fuck you. Great movie. I don't give movie a fuck. Sucks. I love that movie. Movie dude. sucks. I hate this movie. <laughs> Worst Rocky movie by a country mile. Lame ass. Mike, you are an editor. How can you not lash out? Against a movie that has a montage that, first of all, is half montages. Maybe that's why your ass likes it. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe, it so. like it. <laughs> Maybe that's why your ass likes it. But I'm saying there's a montage at the 40 minute mark that includes that's like all the earlier Rocky movies. And then they like catch up and there are like shots in the montage from earlier in the same movie we're watching. What the fuck? That is bad filmmaking. But that is bad visual storytelling. But Jason. It does have the robot, though. It does have the robot. Tomorrow, I'm going to write a think piece about how they were uh, they were anticipating the current meta, uh, <laughs> the current meta culture. All right, Rocky Four is great. Here's all I'll here's all I'll say uh, in defense of Rocky Four. Here's the only shout out I will give Rocky Four is there is no movie that opens with a better visual indicating what's coming in the next hour and a half than the USA flag glove <laughs> and the Russia flag glove coming together in the middle of the screen, colliding, and then there's a giant fuck explosion. Like yes, okay, 
You I, like anything after that, I'm to blame because I knew what I was in for. Sylvester Stallone never assumes the audience is paying attention. Example, nope. movie number two on our list, Rambo, First Blood, First Part, Blood two. Part Two. God. <laughs> Wow. Never assume they were watching or awake in the beginning yeah. of the movie. Yeah, that was the 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 three the three two punch from Stallone in eighty five. That was actually. number two yes. for the year. For the year. Oh, wow. Rambo Fever gripped the nation, baby. And it's so strange because the first movie is first, it's like a different world. Yeah, it's, it's a different such reality. a great yeah. film too. It's so dark and weird, yep. and it feels yep. like such an indie film. And then they yep. became something totally different. I don't even know what yeah. happens in the second one. What, who does he kill? It's, it's uh, oh, he goes back to Vietnam oh, and wonderful. we get to win this time. Oh. That's a line from the screenplay, Great. Axel. That's wonderful. We get to, do we get to win this Not time? Enough death in na- Napalm, so we needed yeah. to bring Stallone. <laughs> and the number one movie of 1985, Mike. Number one movie of 1985. I'm going to say well-deserved fucking Back to the Future. Okay. Little something called Back to the Future. Yeah. Little, I'm going little... to its, its, say that earned its spot, and I'm not mad at the top of the list. Oh. The movie Zemeckis was making instead of a uh, Romancing the Stone sequel. Little, little picture called Back to the Future. Yes. And I mean, hey, look, I would have had this on my list. Who doesn't love Back to the Future? I love this It's movie. impossible. But everybody yeah. talks about Back to the Future, so I wanted to give some other things some air but i loved back to the future when it came out and even the sequels they were fun the hoverboard and stuff come on they're fun but they they the the once again i'm sorry i didn't realize we were going to hit this hard so many times that is a perfect screenplay like i, I like they literally teach that screenplay at screenwriting school because it's so perfectly constructed it's just tight as a drum um okay actually you want to do a lightning round Sure. Mike, let's put five minutes on the big clock and we're going to rapid fire because I got a big list here, Axel. So uh, so are you ready? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Uh, The only canon film to win uh, a big uh, acting award, Runaway Train. Runaway Train. John Voight, Eric Roberts. Rebecca de Mornay. Can't say I really remember it or watched it. Good picture. Brazil from Terry oh, Gilliam. I mean, Brazil. Come on. Insanity, beautiful, crazy, weird, but a lot of heart, too. That's one of the first movies that made me feel like a grown up. Yeah. I didn't see yeah. it in 1985, but like yeah. liking that movie was one of the first times where I was like, all right, maybe I can watch something European. <laughs> was that before or after Time Bandits? That was after that was time okay. bandits was a big hit. So it got him the clout oh, and the budget to okay. make Brazil. Uh, and then there was a whole singular therein. vision is a word to be yes. used in that hundred percent from director Susan Seidelman, desperately seeking Susan. Oh, well this one I didn't see till later. Madonna. Woo! That's all I got to say, baby. New York fun, weird Martin Scorsese's after hours. Along the same lines. Yeah. Yeah, very much along the same lines. They could have met up with each other. Yes. <laughs> Albert Brooks's Lost in America. What a movie. This almost made my list, too. I love Albert Brooks. This movie is so strange and weird. 
and angry too. There's a lot of anger in this movie. <laughs> a lot of anger in all of his movies. A lot of bristling Jewish anger yes. in this movie. Loved it. Uh, debut picture from a couple of guys named Joel and Ethan, the Coen brothers' blood simple. Oh, man. Based on a true story, How's people forget. That? Yeah, Was it? Or did they just say it was? Because, you know, they like to do that. <laughs> we mentioned John Cusack earlier, also in theaters that year. John Cusack in The Sure Thing. Oh, director Rob Reiner. A little more of an adult picture there, I think. The Sure Thing. Talk, that's talking about sex. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll cover my eyes. The feature debut of director Tim Burton, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh, I have a bicycle like Pee Wee Herman. Hey. I love this movie. So much fun. Large Marge. Come on. John Hughes, first of two films for 1985, The Breakfast Club. Oh, a heartbreaker. Definitely saw this. in. Did you guys see this in the theater when it came out? I saw this as the third feature in a drive-in triple feature of Back to the Future, Pee Wee, and The Breakfast Club. Wow. That's how I first saw all three of those. And yeah, as night. you can tell, that shit imprinted. Yeah. yeah. Man, I'll never forget <laughs> that Anthony Michael Hall speech when he talks about trying to kill himself with this starter gun. That was, mm -hmm. it still makes me cry, man, if I watch that movie. I'm going to have to show my son that one. Also from John Hughes that year, Weird Science. Sex dreams, teenage sex dreams. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then not from John Hughes, but utilizing much of his stock company, St. Elmo's Fire was released in 19. St. Elmo's Fire burning in me. My brother loved that <laughs> song, and he used to play it. John Farnham. Aforementioned Chevy Chase double feature, Fletch and European Vacation, both out the summer of 85. Man, you know what? For a prick, he made some great movies. Also not known as a prick, uh, doing a summer double feature as well of comedies, John Candy in Summer Rental and Brewster's Millions in the summer of 1985. John Candy. I know you love John Candy. Do indeed. What a guy. Do indeed. Great movies. And Brewster's Millions, uh, a film I've written about in three separate books. <laughs> Tom Hanks as the man with one red shoe. A lot of fun. I remember watching this as a kid and thinking about thinking like, ooh, I'm watching like something fun. That's all I got. Yes. <laughs> uh, speaking of something fun, how about the big screen adaptation of the popular board game clue oh my god who doesn't remember this i think i went to see it in different theaters to watch the different endings did you accomplish that did you pull it off i i, I or think did, I or did, did you I just see the same did you, did you just see the same ending three different times i don't even remember because then i watched it a bazillion times on hbo and whatnot and then i didn't they have a version where they just show every version after the, the home video version and i assume the hbo version yes just shows you all three of them yep. in, in one after the other so yes oh god all right uh with that your our 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 lightning round has come to an end i made it through maybe a quarter of this list there was a lot it was a busy ass year yeah. in uh motion picture cinemas yeah. w axel foley so thank you for for taking us back there yeah you didn't even mention real genius real genius okay we're, we're extending the lightning <laughs> round for one more film axel thoughts on real genius your laborers labor just exact funny lines <laughs> saying stuff to kids at school val kilmer <laughs> What a hot shot. Didn't think he'd be that smart because he's good looking, but he is. Nope.
good looking nerd. They all underestimated him. All right. Yeah. Uh, a fun year, a good year. A lot of, a lot of good stuff to check out in 1985. Axel, what would you like to promote this evening? Where can people hear you and your, your musings on current contemporary popular culture? Uh, well, you could just head over to dvrpodcast.com. And starting next week, we're going to be talking about the mayor of Kingstown with Mr. Jeremy Ooh. Renner. Get well soon, sir. You had a little accident there and is plowing his driveway, I think. <laughs> Something like that. Um, tell us just briefly so everybody knows, what is the DVR Podcast Network? Well, we just, we've been covering shows forever. You know, I started podcasting in like 2007. Mr. Mike Hall right there was my second ever host after a hustler <laughs> mike's been podcasting since then and we just do all types of different shows and you know cover shows as they come along lately as with podcasting it didn't when we first started which was with lost yep there were there was no official show so now like all these movie stars do shows on the shows they're on yes you know podcasting is blown up so we just try to pick little shows that we like and just like to talk about. So that's like Keith and I are doing Mayor of Kingstown. We we still do the Game of Thrones stuff just for fun, but there's like a bazillion people covering it. Do you do you Mike likes to show with dragons? I know that. <laughs> As a more seasoned podcaster than I, I'm still struggling with this next part. So would you mind as as a as a favor to me as our guest uh turn on your best shit to implore our listeners to rate and review our show. Could you do that for me this evening? Oh my God. I don't even bother with that shit anymore, but I'll try. <laughs> Head on over to your favorite podcasting app. Give us a star, a rate, a review. Give us a written review and tell us that you love us. Cause that's what lets people know that we're here. That's that was nice. We we may need to we may need to pull a drop for that, Mike, and and just drop it in. Yeah, we're just gonna just clip, clip that, that into future episodes. Time. You can't get a better Wait. radio voice than <laughs> Axel. I mean, folks, you can follow me on Twitter at Jason Dash Bailey. You can follow me on Instagram at Fun City Cinema. Mike, where can the good people follow you? Brainwashed Lib on Twitter. And Mike, before we go, what is your favorite movie of the year of our Lord, 1985? My favorite movie of 1985 is Tampopo, a Japanese movie. Good movie. Uh, about a shitty little ramen shop. Um, yes. And she, uh, the owner of the ramen shop, tries to make it a better ramen shop. And there's all kinds of little, like, kung fu movie sort of references that are wrapped up in it as she tries to make it better. It's just a wonderful movie. It's the first sort of movie that I saw that was really, like, obsessed with food uh in a in a way that transfers to film it's just great in so many ways i can't even tampopo 1985 what's your favorite 80 uh movie from 85 i i i i've tried and tried i cannot cannot choose between desperately seeking susan and after hours i can't do it uh they're two <laughs> of my very favorites for many of the same reasons new york in the 80s twisted satirical visions funny fast Fun to watch. Rosanna Arquette at her hottest. I love both of these movies so, so very much. And I've also interviewed Susan Seidelman twice, and she's a treat, and Martin Scorsese once. So I just like both of these movies a whole lot. So that's a really good double feature for you. That's what I did tonight. I gave you a 1985 double feature. Bang. Thank you again, Axel Thank Holy. you both for having me on. And one last fact. Did you know that both In Your Eyes 
and Rosanna were written about Rosanna Arquette. Whom else can have ins- can say that they've inspired so much great Crazy. 80s art? She's like, she really is the Patty Harrison of the mid-1980s. Uh, thank you, Mike. <laughs> thank you, Jason. <laughs> and thank you for listening. Sweet and clear It was a very good year